We are continuing our study. Uh, over the course of the next seven to eight weeks, we'll be looking at this Old Testament uh, story of, of Ruth. And, and Joey, you know, he, he started us off last week, and he said this twice, and I did write it down, Joey. Uh, he said this twice, he said, so it was important. But what he communicated was that Ruth is a story of God providing for and redeeming his people through the ordinary activities of life. And with that, what he was getting at and what he kind of said last week was, you know, God is doing the same things in Ruth that he was doing in Exodus, except without the miraculous splitting of the sea or the, the plagues. He's doing the same thing that he was doing in the time of Acts, just not raising people from the dead. He's accomplishing the same things. He's just doing it through the everyday average, ordinary activities of life. So this is a story for people who wonder where God is when he isn't explicitly performing miraculous signs in front of us. And as we saw last week, it's a story for people who face tragedy, maybe tragedy one after another, and wonder if God is still there for people who long for hope in their hopelessness. It's a story for people who have trouble believing that anything great could come from their average, ordinary, everyday faith. It is an encouraging story and a reminder of God's providence in the good and the bad, for better or for worse. Joey also introduced this story as a dramatic love story. Over the last few months, I've kind of been sucked in to this TV show from the early 2000s. And I'll just go ahead and be embarrassed, but hey, I've been, I've been watching it. Gilmore Girls. It started so innocently, too. Uh, late last year, I had a lot of work that needed to get done, kind of end-of-year deadlines, which has typically happened uh, the last couple of years. And so instead of me staying at the office all night, I wanted to be with my family during the holiday season. And so what I would do is I'd, I'd leave work, I'd come home, and I, I'd, I'd do the, you know, the nightly activities, uh, whether it be a family Christmas party or whether it's just a night at home where we're going to eat dinner together. Um, we're going to maybe watch some TV uh, with Malachi and then put him to bed. And then at that point, I would pull out the laptop, sit in the living room with Natalie, while she would either read or, or watch TV. And one night, uh, she noticed that Gilmore Girls was available on Netflix, and she said, hey, do you mind if I watch that? And I was like, I don't care. And I'll confess, I, I made fun of her for watching it because of the ridiculous small country, small country town drama, um, the unnatural, although quick-witted, dialogue between uh, Rory and, and Lorelai. And then this progressed, um, I would hear a funny line, a funny comment, and I would give a chuckle. And I'd be like, what am I doing? Let me keep working. And then from time to time, I found myself looking up from my laptop for minutes at a time and I would, until a scene would end, and then I'd realize, what am I doing? And I'd get back to work, you know, staunch manhood. Let me persevere. And then eventually it got to the point where I would spend quality time with Natalie to catch up on what was going on in this small town. And I would just watch an episode a night as she watched one. Well, 
Then I found myself, and this is when I knew it was real. This is when I knew I actually liked the show. I started having an opinion about the characters. And then I started expressing that opinion. I could not stand Lorelai at the beginning of the show. She ruined every relationship, and every time her mother, Emily, would try to press in and become a good mom, then Lorelai would do something stupid and blow it all up. Rory was a superstar. Then Rory goes to college. She gets crazy. Now, don't spoil it for me, because I'm in the fifth season. And, but this is what we saw happen, is finally, the moment we were all waiting for, Lorelai and Luke. Amen, she said. The great love story, full of its own drama. And where I am right now, they, they're broken up, but there's some hope that maybe they're going to get back together. Don't ruin it for me. Um, I say all that because Ruth is beautifully written. And it is this great love story. And it will suck you in to the characters. But as Joey pointed out last week, this is not a Gilmore Girls love story. This is not a Hallmark movie love story. This is a gospel love story. Saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see the Hesed love of God, that Hebrew word that is used to describe the never-ending, unfailing, self-sacrificial, enduring, steadfast love of God for his people. That's what Ruth is about. So as we continue to study this, enjoy the narrative. As it unfolds, celebrate what's going on. You can get sucked into the characters somewhat, but don't let your affections be stirred by what's going on between Boaz and Ruth, or between Ruth and Naomi. Instead, let hope come from the God who is put on display and the love that he has for his people. Because what we see is that God is at work every single day of your life. Every day. In the good days and the bad. And sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes it is difficult when you're going through days full of sorrow and grief to see that God is still at work. And that's what we see in Ruth. That's what we see in the life of Naomi when she's stripped of everything. And then we find out, but God had a greater plan. And he was at work in that situation. So prepare yourselves. If you're not in grief right now, if you're not full of sorrow, this is a great book for you to prepare yourself for when that season comes, because it will come. And if you are in that season right now, Cling to the truth that you're going to see, the character of God that will be displayed to give you hope, to persevere. This week we pick up in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Read along with me. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we come before you asking you to comfort and encourage those who are in grief, who are in sorrow, Convince them of the truth that, that you love them and that you're still there and you are actively working in their life for their good and for your glory. Father, renew our minds. Excite our spirits. Let us see that the ordinary day is just not an ordinary day, but that you are work for something marvelous. Convince us of that truth as we study this text this morning. Sanctify your church. Would you teach by the power of your spirit and allow us to see the gospel? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our study of verses 1 through 14 last week, uh, we were faced with the reality that the, the earth is broken, that life here on earth has dark days. And for Naomi... Many of the days, the days that are recorded in Ruth, were indeed hopeless and dark. It began with the time when the judges ruled. And Joey did a good job of pointing us back. If you just look back to the book right before this, the very last verse, you get a picture of what's going on at this time. There was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Think about that. If you did what was right in your own eye. And then think about if everybody in this room were to do that. What would that look like? It'd be dark. It'd be chaotic. I probably wouldn't be getting along with some of you. Because I'm right. You're not. That's what's going on at this time. Then we find out there was a famine. People are hungry. There's not enough food. And it forces this family, Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons to be refugees. They leave their homeland and they go to a place that is a pagan country where there are foreign gods. And then they get there and Elimelech dies. That in and of itself would be tragedy enough for Naomi. She is now in a distant land, single mother, without her husband, who probably made that decision, that tough decision, to leave their home and go to this pagan country. Then we find out that the two sons marry Moabite women. Pagan women. They're not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to raise my sons up in the the covenant 
of the Lord Almighty, and here they are marrying these two women. In Mo- I knew this was going to happen. I told Elimelech that we shouldn't go. I can, I can see that conversation possibly. And then the two sons die. So now you have a mother without her children, a wife without her husband in a foreign land, stripped of everything. And she declares that she is without hope and that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. Verse 14 ended our study last week with Naomi convincing her daughter-in-law Orpah to return to her family in hopes that she would find another husband who would be able to care for her because she can't. She would be dependent upon a husband. And it would be much easier for her to remain in Moab and marry a nice, young, Moabite lad. Orpah goes back. But that, that discussion didn't go as well with Ruth, who we see clings to her. In verse 15, where we pick up this morning, Naomi makes her last plea to Ruth to follow the example of her sister-in-law. Look, look at your sister-in-law. She returned. Go after her. Return to her people and her gods. Notice the language there. That's significant. It's almost as if Naomi is trying to create distance between her and Ruth verbally in hopes that she might convince her to do it physically. Your sister-in-law returned to her people and her gods. In a way, this is her caring for, for Ruth, knowing that she's a widow. And she says, like, what hope do I have to provide for you? Even if I were to find a husband today, right? How are you going to wait until I, even if I get pregnant, which, by the way, Naomi was probably not because she's old. She's exaggerating to try to convince Ruth that there is no hope anymore with me. Stop following me. My life is over, but you still have a chance. But she's also isolating herself in her grief. Don't we also tend to do that? When we're going through tough, bitter, broken times, do we have a tendency to isolate ourselves from everyone? And I agree with what Joey said last week. I'm not going to minimize grief. You will never find anywhere in Scripture where people are condemned for grief. It is okay to grieve. Especially when you have an experience like Naomi has had over the last decade of her life. I guess the better question is, do we, not necessarily do we respond that way, but is that the right way to respond? To isolate ourselves from people who are reaching out to us, who are trying to care for us. For Naomi, that attempt fails. Ruth puts an end to the discussion. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. One of the things I saw there in the language that Ruth used, for her it wasn't about where she would go if she were to leave. For her it was about who she would be leaving. She says, do not urge me to leave you. She didn't say, do not urge me to go to Moab. She said, do not urge me to return from following you. She didn't say to return to Moab and to my people. For Ruth, 
It was about who she would be leaving, Naomi. And then she announces her pledge in language that is covenantal language that we see throughout all of Scripture. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth committed to Naomi to remain with her wherever she would go, but included in that commitment is a commitment to her God, Yahweh. I find that interesting. What would Ruth know of Naomi's God over the last decade? What has she seen? What has she seen with Naomi? She's seen brokenness. She's seen pain. She's seen suffering. I find it interesting that if that's all that she saw, and I don't know that, but I know she saw it and she experienced this, that she would still commit herself to that God. Because she goes on to communicate the extent of her commitment, and it is not just to Naomi. I hope you see that. Because what she says is, where you die, I will die. And where you're buried, I will be buried. I think it's safe to assume that Ruth knew that Naomi would probably die before her. So what she's saying is, I am committed not to the end of your life, but to the end of mine. This is a lifelong commitment where she says, I am committed to Yahweh, the God of Israel, until death do us part. She says, and if I were to not fulfill this covenant that I'm making to you, may God bring on me what he's brought on you and even more so. That's a covenant commitment between Ruth and Naomi, between Ruth and Yahweh. She is committing. It's almost like you have this picture of this is her transformation. This is her gospel. If we were to take it to New Testament times, this is her gospel commitment where she has seen the goodness of this God and she has determined that's the God I want to follow. That's the God I'm committed to. What do we make of this? In one sense, Ruth is kind of like a Christ figure, right? You kind of see this, this character of Jesus Christ as she is the one who is going to leave her home and commit herself to someone who continually pushes her away. She's the one making a covenant commitment to someone and not expecting anything else from them. If you were here when we studied um, the life of Abraham, that was one of the things that we saw when God made his covenant with Abraham. You didn't have this expectation of Abraham. This was something that God would fulfill. That's what we see here with Ruth. She's not asking anything of Naomi. All she says is, I will go with you wherever you go. That language reminds us of the words of Jesus as he commissioned his disciples and he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in one sense, Ruth resembles Christ. In another, what we see is someone who has been changed in her experience with God. She has seen the steadfast, never-failing love of God, and she says, I can't go back to my God's. You see, Ruth can't go back to her people and her gods because she is not who she used to be. She cannot return. She has experienced the God of Israel and has determined that there is no greater God. 
And this is what happens when we experience the life-changing gospel story of Jesus Christ. It transforms us. I mean, think about who you were when you first got called by God, when he effectually called you to himself, allowed you, gave you new life to respond in faith to the gospel. Think about who you were back then. Would you go back? Some of us have had a lot more time in between that moment and where we are today. Would you go back? I know me, I, I, I would never. I don't want, I'm, not, I'm not that guy anymore. I was telling somebody the other night, I think it, it might have been Joey, um, and, a, and a co-worker of mine, we went out to eat with um, some co-workers, and the, 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 the topic of middle school came up. I hated David Morris in middle school. I don't want to go back there. There's a lot of sanctification that has happened since that time. Some of it's been very painful. That's not who I am. And so I can't return back there. And that's where Ruth is. Over the last decade, I'm not that person anymore. I am now a different person. So I'm committing myself to your people. Your people are my people. And your God is my God. So instead of returning to our people and our God, we respond to, like Ruth, for better or for worse, until death do us part, I commit myself to Jesus no matter what the cost is. And look, there's going to be good days and bad days. There's going to be, there's going to be days of rejoicing. There's going to be days of sorrow as well. We commit ourselves, our whole life, to a new people, to one another. As we strive side by side, like I was talking about earlier, as we strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, committing ourselves to living our lives worthy of that gospel love story that we have received. We commit our lives not to false gods that we create, but to Naomi's God, Yahweh, who has visited us, his people, in our affliction, and delivered us, provided for us the bread of life, just like he visited his people in Judah and brought them food. Verses 18 through 21, we see Naomi just, she, all right, I got it. I realize now that, you know, Ruth is not coming. I mean, Ruth is not going to go home. She's going to come with me. And so she said no more, and the two continued on to Bethlehem. And you see the author kind of speeds through this. He doesn't give you the details of how long they traveled, which is probably a long time. He doesn't give you the details of all the conversation that may have happened in between then. He speeds us up to when they get to Bethlehem. And as they arrive, there's great excitement that's going on. The whole, the whole city was stirring, right? And what that is, is they were excited. that You see it in the, the words of the question that the women were asking. It's, is that Naomi? Has she returned? And then again, you hear the the bitter brokenness expressed from Naomi. She says, do not call me Naomi. Her name meant pleasant. She said, don't call me that. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because God Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly. 
I went away full with the husband and two sons, and I returned empty-handed with nothing. So don't call me Naomi. Why would you? Because God has testified against me, and he has brought calamity upon me. As Joey mentioned last week, it is important for us to feel the weight of the despair in her life. That's where she is. And even in this moment, we know Ruth is right there with her. And she's saying, I have nothing, I am stripped of everything, but Ruth has already committed to be with her for the rest of her life. It's almost like she's continuing to push Ruth out because she is blinded by her grief. She is blinded by her sorrow. I wonder if we do the same. Are we blinded whenever we're going through something difficult? Because you see, her bitterness not only prevented her from rejoicing in the steadfast love of Ruth, but it prevented her from seeing that God was at work, even in the midst of her sorrow. Because what we come to find out is this was part of God's redemptive plan, this return to Bethlehem. From before the foundations of the world, this was according to God's plan. Because from the line of Ruth, hope will come in a king, King David. The judges have been ruling. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. David's going to come from the line of Ruth as she returns to Bethlehem. Even more than that, hope will come into the world. Hope will come to all of man because through the line of Ruth, we have a Messiah coming in the future. This is part of God's plan. But Naomi can't see that, right? And it's understandable if we're going through grief, we don't know what God's going to do thousands of years from that point. But what we can be convinced of from Scripture, the character of God, we sang it this morning, He never changes. He is always at work every single day of your life. You being here this morning, I don't know why. I don't know what the specific purpose is, but He's got you here for a reason. It is a part of His plan. He is expressing His providence in the, in the story of Ruth. God is at work providing for and redeeming His people through the everyday, average, ordinary workings of life. And it's including right now in your life. I know it's become cliche when you find yourself in sorrow and grief to say that God has a plan and he's going to work it all out. Would you be convinced of that truth once again? Would you have a, a renewed sense of how true that is? And it's not just lip service? That God does have a plan, and he is working all things out for your good and ultimately for his glory. The ordinary days are not just ordinary days. God indeed had a plan, not only for Naomi, but for all of man. And it was in her tragedy that God was at work to bring it to fulfillment. If you're sorrowful today, if you're grieving right now, cling to that truth. He is at work. Your vision may be blurry right now. You may not be able to see the whole picture, but he is at work, and it's going to be for your good. Maybe we should define that. What does that mean, for your good? I cannot promise you that your life will not be full of tragedy. If you're in sorrow right now, I can't promise you that God's not going to bring more of that into your life. 
or prevent it from happening. But I do know, if you cling to who he is, if you cling to his covenant promises that he has made, he will deliver you from that one day. And Jesus Christ, our king, will return and you will reign alongside him forever. You are a part of his family and he is a good, good father. He will provide for you. He will give you everything you need, even in the midst of your sorrow, to persevere through that. And one day, all the brokenness will be fixed. We won't have these seasons of life like what Naomi has had. It will be days of rejoicing and the hope that has finally come and it has been fulfilled. In verse 22, our, our study ends this week in true Gilmore Girl love story fashion. A little cliffhanger with a sign of hope that keeps you glued to the TV. Not turning it off, but letting it just keep spinning until the show starts next episode. They've returned, and it is the beginning of barley harvest. That didn't excite you? (laughs) There's hope there. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there's hope there. The harvest is coming. The famine is over. God has visited his people, and he has provided for them. And he's going to do the same thing for Ruth and Naomi. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for your gospel. Thank you for transforming us, taking us from where we were to where we are today. God, and we know you're not done with us yet. We know that your spirit will continue to to convict us. And as we submit to your word, you're going to change our hearts in ways that we can't even think of right now. Thank you that, that you are sovereign, that you have provided us with everything that we need physically, and spiritually. God, would you provide comfort for any who are in grief right now? Would you remind them of your providential faithfulness as we sang this morning? Would you, would you allow those words to be true and resound with them? Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. As we saw a covenant promise between Ruth and Naomi, God, we know that you have made a covenant promise and you have already fulfilled it. It just hasn't culminated yet. You delivered. You've been faithful to your promises. Forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us when we lack faith, when we're not faithful to you. Would you remind us that in our sorrow, as we sang this morning, your son Jesus is better. As we respond with and reflect on your goodness with songs of praise in these next few moments, remind us of who you are and who we are in Christ. Remind us of our identity. Remind us of the hope that we have in our Savior, in your Son, Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross and how he rose to life, once for all conquering sin, defeating death, 
allowing us to have hope for tomorrow. And may we surrender our lives to you who first loved us even when we were in sin. Father, let us not grow complacent and consider your daily mercies dull and boring. Help us to go deeper into the word and understand who you are so that our lives would be lived committed to your purposes, knowing that you are out for our good and for your glory. I pray this in your name, your son's holy name. Amen.